Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about Daily Daf Differently, please visit jcastnetwork.org slash ddd. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Shalom, and welcome back to The Daily Duff Differently. This is David Wise, Rabbi in Hollis Hills, Queens. Back to look with you at Yoma Kaf Gimel, page 23 of Tractate Yoma. There are a few different themes to explore on this Duff, but there's one section that will draw most of our attention. For starters, let's remember that yesterday's Duff concluded with a look at Shaul HaMelech, King Saul, who is criticized for waiving the honor he was due as king. Today's daf follows that up with a statement that any Talmid Chacham, any scholar who doesn't strike back at those who dishonor him as a snake would, isn't even worthy of being called a Talmid Chacham. The Gemara is surprised, as was I, not just because this is conduct unbecoming a Torah scholar, but because the Torah explicitly says in Leviticus chapter 19, Lotikom velotitor, you shall not take vengeance nor hold a grudge. The Gemara responds that the prohibition only applies to financial dealings. Honor is a different story. The Gemara still isn't satisfied and trots out a brighta that says one should let go of vengeful thoughts we might harbor because of personal slights. So the Gemara bargains down further, suggesting that one may harbor these thoughts, though one may not act on them. With one more challenge, the Gemara quotes Rava, whoever waives his entitlement to feeling insult is forgiven for all wrongdoing. Kol ha-ma'avir al-midotav, ma'avirin lo al-kol peshaav. That, concludes the Gemara, applies when there was an attempt to placate the wronged Talmid Chacham. But if no apology is made, the Talmid Chacham is permitted to hold on to his sense of insult. Why, you ask, doesn't the Gemara advise him to just let it go? Because apparently at stake here is not just the scholar's honor. It's about what the Talmud Chacham represents, Torah itself. And Torah must never be denigrated. Then the Gemara talks about the finger contest the racing Kohanim would have to break ties in the race to the altar for Trumat Hadeshin, which we saw back on Daf Kaf Aleph two days ago. I won't explore this in any detail other than to note that the Gemara shows sensitivity to an ill or disabled Kohen and cuts him some slack on the lifting of fingers because it's apparently harder to extend just a single digit. Don't try this at home. The guts of this duff deal with an even more competitive priestly environment than the one the Mishnah did. There, we saw a race where one Kohen pushed another and limbs got broken. But as reported in a Baraita, it apparently once got worse. Ma'asebi shnei Kohanim shayu shnehen shavin veratsin veolin bakevesh? Kadam echad mehen letoch arba amot shel chavero? 
נטל סכין ותקע לו בליבו. Once, two Kohanim were in a dead heat, racing up the ramp. One lunged forward to take the lead, and the other took out a knife and stabbed him in the heart. Rabbi Tzadok arose, and his words of admonition brought all those assembled to tears. And then, the father of the stricken Kohen went over to him, and found that the young man was still in the death throes. What the father says will stun any reader with a heart, as it stuns the storyteller of the Baraita. The Kohen said, Harei hu kaparadchem, ve'adayin b'ni mefarper, ve'lo nitma'as sakin. He is your atonement, at least his death will be. But he is still shuddering, he isn't dead yet. So the knife has not yet become ritually unfit, because it's not in contact with death. Hey, maybe we can save the knife. This unbelievable reaction by the victim's father prompts the Brita to, to observe, Lelamedcha shekasha alehen tohorat kelim yoter mishvichut damim. This teaches that to the Kohanim, the ritual fitness of inanimate objects was more important than the spilling of blood. This prompts the Gemara to ask a question of chronology in a further attempt to make sense of the lunacy we've learned about in the priestly race to participate in Trumat Hadeshan. We have the Mishnah story about a push leading to a broken leg and the Baraita's story of homicide. So the Gemara wonders which happened first. If you say the homicide was first, how could it be that it wasn't until the second episode, whose consequences weren't as dire, that they made the Takana to establish rotations by lottery? And if you say the pushing episode happened first, well then, we would have had by then the lottery, and that would have eliminated the entire competitive component. So under what circumstances would Tukonim have been racing, let alone stabbing one another over this? So the Gemara ultimately concludes that the homicide episode happened first. <coughs> but they judged it to be an isolated incident. It was merely akrai be'almahu. Kevan dechaze afilu mimela atulide sakana takinu rabanan faisa. Once they saw that the current system continued to encourage violent behavior, then they got serious and instituted the lottery. I mentioned earlier that Rabbi Tzadok's public words after the stabbing of the racing Kohen brought the assembly to tears. The content of his address dealt with the Egla Arufa, the breaking of a young calf's neck, which is code for the procedure for dealing with a corpse found in no man's land, the unsolvable crime of Deuteronomy chapter 21. The Gemara wonders why Rabbi Tzadok mentions the Egla Arufa at all. A. It was not to be brought when the corpse was found in Jerusalem's jurisdiction. And B. We know very well who the killer is. This isn't an unsolved murder. And the Gemara responds, his goal was really to make people cry. As the Gemara says, Ela kedei leharbot bivchia. Obviously, 
We all speak sometimes in hyperbole and even sometimes use inexact logic to make a point. If our real goal is to touch the heart more than the brain, Rabbi Tzadok clearly knew how to touch people's buttons. Unfortunately, the Gemara seems to conclude that a more effective way to touch priestly buttons was to talk about impure knives instead of dead bodies. The Gemara debates which societal ill is responsible for this skewing of priorities. Is it an obsession with the purity of vessels, or was it a devaluing of human life? The rabbis conclude that, sadly, bloodshed had lost its significance. Shvichut damim hu dezal. And this is yet another rabbinic indictment of priestly culture. The last sugya of the daf returns to the proper procedures for trumat hadeshen, with an investigation of what the kohen gadol, the high priest, would wear when serving in the sanctuary. Leviticus chapter 6 verse 3 is the verse that mentions the taking up of the altar's ashes, trumat hadeshen. The next verse reads, Ufashat et begadav vilavash begadim acherim. He shall take off his vestments and put on other vestments. The details and reasons for this wardrobe change leads the Gemara to discuss whether Trumat Adeshin is even considered Avodah, sacred service, since most Avodah is performed while the Kohen wears but one set of clothes. All the more reason for us to be appalled that Kohanim would come to blows, let alone fatal ones, over the chance to do a job that, according to some, wasn't even sacred service. That's all for Yoma Kaf Gimel, Yoma page 23. We'll meet again tomorrow on the Daily Daf Differently. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the open and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epic Horus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.